listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Ellen Forney. Now, Ellen was on the show, and I should have looked this up. I was thinking about it, and I think it was probably almost exactly five years ago. It was a million years ago. <laughs> Millions and millions. Um, I think it was around your birthday. Uh, it was, that been, was it when I love Led Zeppelin? Yeah. It was about I love Led Zeppelin or about Lust. It was about I think it was about I love Led Zeppelin. Well, that that came out in two thousand. Oh God, it was either uh, was it two thousand six two thousand two thousand six. Okay. But then but then uh, you know it was the end of two thousand six I think and so it was a, a ringing it in through two thousand seven. So that'd make it six years ago. Okay. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't do anything. Why didn't we do anything about lust? I, I don't know. You. I don't know. Why not, indeed? <laughs> Maybe that's a fault of my end. Um, we'll just leave that unspoken. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, 
so as I said, Ellen's been on before. Uh, Pacific Northwesterner out of Seattle. Uh, your other books are uh, I Love Led Zeppelin, as we mentioned before. Uh, Monkey Food, uh, which came out in about 2000. And what was it? Lust? And Lust. Yeah. Is it just called Lust by itself? Well, it's called Lust. L- it's called lust, and you could you, it's it either follows with an explanation or a very long uh, subtitle. It's uh, lust, kinky online personal ads from Seattle's The Stranger. There we go. So that's that's the subtitle slash explanation. Do you still do those those strips? Um, no, I did those for about three years, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great. It's so fun. So every week I would take one of the kinky personal ads in The Stranger and, uh, and adapt it into one panel. I never really knew what to call it. It's not really a cartoon. It's not a comic because it's not sequential. But there's more, there's more going on than just like a gag cartoon. So I call it an adaptation. There we go. That's the best that I could call one A one-panel adaptation. Um, there's going to be actually. This is kind of this is kind of interesting. We haven't we haven't in, introduced Marbles, my my latest book. Oh, should we get into that first? No, we can we we yeah. can go whichever direction we want. So why don't you finish so your thought? My um so my latest my latest book Marbles, uh, my graphic memoir about my bipolar disorder. So it's um I, I imagine we're going to be getting into that in a little more detail in a moment. But mm-hmm. well, that is uh. Uh, an enormously personal um, and uh, story and very difficult to do and um, so it it was a a very very rich process and putting it out and it's all been it's all been really uh, amazing and just full of um, a million different kinds of anxieties and exhilaration and it's been received really well and it's it's been kind of um, cathartic. Any, anyway, all of that. And uh, in Seattle, there's a there's a group called the Bushwick Book Club, and what they are is they're a group that uh, of musicians that read some sort of literary work and make uh, music about it. So they the the different individual musicians make write different songs and um and they they asked me and they do stuff like uh they did uh howard zinn's um the oh god people's history of the no i'm not even going to get this title right i think it's a people's history of the united states so you know like this uh that kind of tone and also like dr seuss modern things and all sorts of different things and they asked if i if they could do that with marbles I would give a talk and then they would do all their and I just I just you know no no like I couldn't I, I just couldn't imagine what that would be like at this point I mean the book has only been out for a few months it was really nerve-wracked I mean it, I mean it's a kind of a big thing to have out there so I said no, no, no. and uh, and so the, so they said well how about lust and so that's the kinky online personal ads, and I said yes. <laughs> Not fun for me. 
do that. And so that that's actually that's one thing that um, that I hadn't mentioned before before this um, interview is that that is going to be coming up on Wednesday of this month, the twenty seventh. Is oh, that okay. a that is a Wednesday? Yep. Yes, that's happening here in Seattle. So if you're in Seattle, on that, like to uh, come down for the Emerald City. Early, Robin. <laughs> really, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. They're, they're, they're pretty great, and I'm really looking forward to it. Sadly, unfortunately, I'm coming in the morning of the first, so uh, I will not be able to. Uh, well, I'll tell you one other thing that I'm really that I'm curious about how this is going to play out is this is this is the first comic that they've done, and one of the things. One of the things about um, one of the things about comics is that we have to draw what things feel or sound like. You know, like you have to do this kind of cross sense uh, uh, translation, and and I'm curious to see how that's going, how that's going to play out with me. Because they're then going to be taking this literary form and turning it into music, which you know it has it has a certain literary quality because of the words. I suppose it's a different kind of storytelling, different tools. And so that's my that's my little. Hmm. <laughs>
Here, I'll reintroduce as we're coming back from a song, and then we'll we'll jump into stuff. I'm back. I'm talking to Ellen Forney, and uh, she's just telling us about a performance that's happening with one of her books, Lust! Exclamation point. Um, but more importantly, Ellen's got a, a new book out, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me, a graphic memoir by Ellen Forney. Now, you mentioned um, before about um, how personal this work was um, in comparisons to your other work that you put out, um, which is interesting because all your work is really personal, but mm -hmm. in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering um, what it is about the challenges of putting this book together that make it so much more so than say the the Led Zeppelin book. Right. Well, um, for a long time in my work, I would say, I guess, most of my career, I've really made a point of being uh, pretty upbeat. And not in a, like, fluff kind of way, like, I don't want to deal with anything, but dealing with being, like, really sex positive and queer positive and, you know, like, here's an interesting way to, like, turn this concept around in your head and and about my family and growing up in the 70s and remember all this stuff and, like, these different things around, you know, coming of age but feeling safe about it. And and point of that, partly for my own uh, enjoyment of the material, but also because I feel like um, in a lot of arts, there's certain um, place on a kind of angst that and pain that I that I really can get kind of t tired of because there's because it you don't have to I feel like you don't have to uh, really like dredge through horrible pain in order to be profound. That said, I thought about that a lot, actually, when I was going through a lot of pain, putting this book together, putting marbles together. Um, and by pain, I mean, I, um, I really had to go back and with the help of my journals and um, photo albums and sketchbooks and then interviews with friends and family recreate what it was like back when I was in my um, highest mania and lowest depression and it was um, not comfortable places to go. So just the process of that for me was, was I feel like one of the hardest things that I've done kind of ever, I guess. I know that sounds like an overstatement, but to put myself there deliberately was really was really um, difficult. But I felt like I, I wanted to tell this story for so many for so many different reasons. as a way of processing it for me, as a way of uh, reaching out to people who were in that same position as me when I was first diagnosed feeling feeling really um, overwhelmed and alone and there were there were a few memoirs that I read around that time when I was just feeling so isolated and 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 overwhelmed and 
I think I think turning to books is a pretty common experience because in that way we can have company and at the same time we can have the uh, that safe feeling of also being alone mm-hmm. with a book. Um, so I wanted to be able to offer that as well. And then you know I I think it's an important thing to get to get personal stories out there, in particular about. I mean, so this would this in particular would be about mental illness, specifically about bipolar disorder. Kind of demystify it for um, for well for anyone for parents of someone who's bipolar, for doctors and maybe have a different way of understanding what their patients are going through. I mean, certainly you know people who are going through it. Um, uh, I, uh, spouses. Mm-hmm. I've gotten I've gotten a lot of le- letters uh, and emails since the book came out the beginning of November, and um, it's really it's really gotten to a lot of the places that I was. I mean, you can never know where things are going to land, but a lot of the places that I had been hoping it might go, like get into the hands of you know the parent whose 30-year-old daughter is struggling with bipolar disorder and understands it better now kind of thing. Or, you know, thank God I'm not the only one um, person who is grappling with with bipolar disorder. Another artist, say. Um, I don't know, I could go on and yeah. on. <laughs> well, uh, um, kind of keying into what you're saying there, is I'm curious about any particular works that you may have found kind of a solace in or kind of identified with that helped at that time for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, there, there, are two, there are two very specifically that come to mind, these two memoirs. One is uh, by Kay Redfield Jameson, and it's called An Unquiet Mind. And she is, uh, she's this incredibly brilliant, successful, MacArthur genius psychologist, researcher, and she's bipolar. So it's her memoir. Um, And also William Styron's Darkness Visible, which is his account of his, um, his experience with depression and really crushing depression. And these two really well crafted, really moving memoirs written by these really successful creative people who, by definition, having read these books, came out the other end and were not only okay but flourishing. It was a huge, huge relief to me. I wasn't alone, and I also had hope. Those were huge. I want to ask a little bit um, about stigma. Mm-hmm. And some of the challenges of stigma, because like, as you mentioned before, you're sex positive, um, very upfront with that, but then one of the undercurring things in your book is like having to hide or feeling you need to hide this. And um, I'm just wondering, like, something around that. That's a badly crafted question, Robin. Uh, (laughs) Bad interviewer. Um... Uh. Do you, well, do you want me to do you want me to just address the? Would you please address the issue of stigma? Is that? <laughs> <do you> mean, <laughs> <do you> mean, <laughs> there we go. 
Less open-ended uh, demands. There you go. Please address the issue of stigma. Right. Well, I mean, one of the one of the scenes one of the scenes in Marbles is um, is where I I go to a performance and I run into someone that I know who doesn't know that I'm bipolar. Um, I've always been really quite just as a side note. I've always been really quite private about it. And my, you know, t- talking about it with you or and with, you know, having this book out at all is is a very distinct difference. There's like this juncture in time, like over this past year, that it, that has is a huge difference from how it was before. So, um, and there are all sorts of different reasons for keeping private, and one of them is stigma and how how is this other person going to uh, to feel about what it is that I have to say so I was in this in this uh, going to this performance ran into this person who I knew and they they were making comments about the other people um, in that were going in it was a performance by uh, a schizophrenic woman talking about her schizophrenia and he, he was just basically making comments about the people there who he thought were crazy. And I, I felt like I, I was in this really weird bind because I, I'm generally, you know, very, uh, if not confident and certainly accepting to whatever degree, I guess, of who I am. And I really felt like I couldn't say anything to him at that point. I kind of I had to respect my own emotional vulnerability at that point. It was only it wasn't that long after I had gotten diagnosed, so it wouldn't have made sense for me to to like on some sort of principle to confront him that way and put myself in harm's way in that way. But but a lot of it was about the, the his attitude that was clearly. Um, distancing and um, alienating and I just I, I, I couldn't leap over that um, so so I, I think just like a lot of stigma it comes from a lack of understanding and uh, that's one of the one of the big reasons again for putting putting out personal stories is to make it more understandable for people more human Less like a less like this weird, um, uh, uh, dry I guess like list of symptoms mm-hmm. in a book, and people are um, people who are most obviously mentally ill are the ones that are on a much more extreme end of things. That we see like with with um, I don't know uh, the homeless people who can't get treatment that's kind of what a lot of people think of when they think of mental illness so you know the responsible lawyer who takes meds in the morning is not what they would think of necessarily anyway so humanizing and um, increasing awareness um, I think uh, would will be important parts of decreasing that that's that's that stigma uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> did, did that address did that address the 
Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about how um, it's still an issue where folks have a really hard time resolving that there is a stigma. Um, and it's interesting, like, if you're at, say, a drag performance, you go, I wonder who's gay here. It would be like, well, that's kind of weird. Right. Um, well, I think I think that I think that there's um, there's a there's what mental illness is kind of scary for a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. your brain, you know, like brain not functioning in its most effective way in uh, ways that maybe aren't easily understandable. And so, you know, it's a, it's it's uh, it's it's tricky. I think there's a lot of mistrust around meds as kind of, well, there's a lot of this that's justified. Meds are mm-hmm. kind of, meds are kind of, uh, fucked up. It's a weird, well, yeah, they are, they really are. Well, psych meds are really, the, the brain is still this unknown territory to a huge degree. A lot of the psych meds are, they were kind of, uh, discovered kind of in quotes by accident generally mm-hmm. like they were being studied for some you know I don't know like indigestion and they found that you know like but the in, people were having indigestion and, and depression started feeling better and so that's when they you know did some tests and then they started marketing it for depression when it was actually it was you know originally a floor wax or whatever <laughs> so so really, that's why you know, like they're getting more and more specific, but um, but they're they're really they're really all over the place. So we, so the meds themselves are really tough. They come with all these different side effects, and then and then there's really a lack of understanding about what what meds mean mm-hmm. in terms of treatment for mentally ill. I think that there are some people who can. Um, I know one woman talked to me about how, yeah, she had she'd been on antidepressants, but she found that so long as she exercise, that she makes sure that she gets enough sleep, and that she exercises every day. She's a this kind of rigorous uh, athlete. That it, that's what keeps her most stable. So she has she has found that, and I think that that's perfectly valid. There are people like me who really need, need to be on meds. I, I believe that I would not be able to be stable without them, truly. Um, and some people, I know a friend of mine who's bipolar, they meds, every single one that she's tried, they make her hair fall out, that, like among among other things. Yeah. Some people have that. Some people, it's, for a lot of people, it's, it's what we need or part of it, but it can't be the only thing, you know, if the only thing that you're doing is taking Zoloft, but you're not changing your diet or your sleeping habits or, or how you think about who you are, then, then that's not going to be an effective treatment. So, so it's, so I, I think there again, there's just a lot, there's just a, there's a pretty pervasive lack of understanding about, about treatment and how meds, into that. I don't know how I got off on going on, started going off on meds, but... I think that was my um, question. I think it ah, was me. Blame me. It was you. It was you. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the things I really love 
I don't know if love's the right term, but it really took out of your book, was like the whole part on here are all the meds, and here's what they do, and here's what they also do. <laughs> here's what really sucks. Um, right. It's, uh, and it's pretty accurate. Like, uh, one of my jobs I've done is actually work in mental health and just see what medications do to folks. And some work really great, are amazing, and others are like not so great. What did you do in mental health? I, um, was a support worker for folks with uh, in uh, addictions with uh, mental health. Huh. Yeah. With mood disorders or with any? Uh, with a whole gambit of anything you can think of. You so. know, it's interesting. One of the things that I found out in doing research for marbles, and I did a ton of research for marbles, mm-hmm. is that um, there is such a huge correlation between people between mood disorders and substance use and abuse Mm -hmm. like huge correlation uh i one of the one of the threads in marbles is that um i smoked pot i smoked pot from uh from you know through uh, most of my adulthood i suppose and that I stopped, I stopped when I realized that it was probably working against me in my in my treatment. And it was a it was a difficult decision. However, when I was putting the book together, um, I you know I just I decided that I wasn't going to put anything in about pot because I really I didn't I was never really a super heavy smoker. But you know did I have a I didn't really have a problem and. And, you know, it would make my character inconsistent or something. Like, I was working against myself on treatment. And then I and then I read that statistic. I think it's a majority of people with mood disorders. And I, I realized that they have some sort of uh, substance issue. Mm-hmm. That, I, that I would have to say that if I were somebody else on the outside looking in at me, that I, would, that I was having a bit of denial and that it was actually an important part of my story that this is uh, an issue that I had to negotiate. And so I reluctantly put it into the, put it into the story. Mm-hmm. It's one of those kind of careful balances of trying to be, get the whole story without trying to like say, this works for me, so it'll work for everyone. It's that kind of uniqueness to your experience. Yeah. Right, and you know, on the bottom, like practically half the page is tiny lettering of me doing a footnote, where I, you know, I finally say, well, you know what, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with my memory, and rather than messing with my dosage of lithium, I should really try stopping smoking pot. I'm sorry, therapist, I have not admitted to you for years that I've been smoking pot. And then, so this long footnote about, I just really wanted to be careful. You know, I'm not saying I'm not anti-pot. I think that, it, that it's really important for a lot of people for all sorts of different reasons. And I think that usage should blah, blah, blah. For some people, it's okay. And for some people, you know, got to be careful. And really, really didn't want to point any fingers at myself or anybody else really tricky issue mm-hmm. really tricky issue 
You know, another thing, I don't know if you found this with your work, but in my, in my, um, in marbles, I write use and abuse and issue. And in all of the literature that I read, any use at all was called abuse. That's one of the things that uh, I think is really, really important in trying to get um, someone who might be, let's say, for example, smoking too much pot. Um, I know I didn't identify as an abuser, and so I thought that those kinds of statistic, statistics wouldn't apply to me. So I wanted to make sure that if I'm suggesting that someone who is uh, using some sort of substance that they that they consider what their what their usage is, mm -hmm. and not immediately saying that they're an abuser. Mm -hmm. That also you not know, say. You yeah. also don't want to say, okay, it's because of this substance that I'm like this. It's like, no, not necessarily. Sure. That's, it's that, that balance. Is that what you wound up? Well, I mean, I work in a pretty unique situation where it was folks in full-on pretty heavy addictions. Uh-huh. Um, and it, the, the kind of the philosophy being used now has changed a lot in the last, you know, 10 or so years where it's more of an understanding of how each thing affects someone and how those two things together are affecting someone with where they're at. Right. Um, right. So it's like this, the idea of having concurrent disorders. You're not just dealing Comorbidity. Well, I haven't heard that one. Really? That's what they call it all over the place. It, it just sounds so dramatic and, and <laughs> it does. like horror movie, right? Comorbidity. I'm waiting for an organ like sound a... to come on. Huh? I'm waiting for, like, an organ sound to come out. An organ. Like, that's right. Vincent Price. The comorbidity of the Siamese twins. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you talk a little bit about the, um, or I'm interested in kind of your own resolving of kind of going, okay, something's wrong. I need to treat it and kind of how you struggled through that realization or kind of came to terms you mean like back around the time I was diagnosed yeah well it's not actually it's kind of a weird it's not like I was like hmm I think I'm bipolar I should go to the doctor mm -hmm. because actually it was uh, not that at all um, like many bipolar people I I sought help when I was depressed, because that's when it feels like there's a problem, right? When you feel great, there's no problem. One one thinks there is no problem. Okay, so I had been I had been seeing um, I had been seeing um, a social worker, a therapist, just an MSW then, uh, for several months when I was feeling down, and then when I started to my mood started to lift. Um, she was, in the beginning, really supportive. I used to, I used to call that mood manicky. It's funny because I didn't, even though I used that term, I didn't really think of it as a bipolar symptom, but just manicky. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And she suggested that I use the term jazzed. And after a while of that, like me saying manicky and her saying jazzed, I think she realized that I was actually, uh, this is actually something that a psychiatrist should probably take a look at. And she worked, she, she had an associate who is a psychiatrist and suggested I go see her. And, you know, I don't actually remember what specifically was going through my own head. Um, except feeling like I was I was gonna get the um, what would that be check of approval you know like oh you're doing fine yeah kind of. um, and I went to her a few times and she told me that I was bipolar and I didn't believe it briefly like really briefly we went through the symptoms and um, and I realized that that was me. So that's how, that's how. So I didn't actually take myself to the doctor that way. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I was yeah. kind of more of like after you found out, kind of dealing with that and that resolve of, okay, something's going on. Oh, you mean like, you mean like, you mean like my, my last answer was actually the build up to your question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did I do then? Basically, so I'm so I'm here, and I I just you know I received this diagnosis. What do I do then? Or how did that? Yeah. How how how, how did you re resolve with that diagnosis? Well, I was, I mean, I recognized pretty quickly that that was me, um, and that I was bipolar. I really didn't fight the diagnosis. But so far as how I was going to treat that disorder was um, was a little more uh, hard, I guess. So one of the, again, like one of the major threads in marbles is what that has meant to me as uh, as an artist. What the diagnosis and treatment have meant to me as, as an artist. And so that came into play immediately. I didn't want to be on meds because I was really terrified that that was going to flatten my creativity. And so I wasn't on any meds during the rest of that mania except for something to sleep, something to calm me down and sleep. Um, that's clonopin. Clonazepam. Mm -hmm. um, and... So, and then uh, at the end of that mania, when um, I slipped down into into this, uh, just the worst depression that I hope I will ever have, uh, it was clear to me that I wasn't going to be able to handle it myself, mm -hmm. as I had thought that I would be able to when I was manic. Um, and so that's that's when that's when I realized that I that I was going to need meds. And I was going to need the help of my doctor. Now you've had. I just wasn't going to be able to do it alone. Yeah, mm -hmm. you've you've had the same doctor the whole time. I have. I have. She is still my doctor. So that's been um, many years. <laughs> I'm just going to try and do that. You don't need to add up the years. We don't need to do that. <laughs> 
90, it, so it's 98 to current. So that's a long time. That's pretty great to be able to have that singular person who knows your history and knows Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm really lucky. I know I'm, I'm really lucky. She's great, and we, we get along great. I mean, she, I think that um, just her, her style and her, um, her just, just her way, the things that she suggests, like just the, the balance of um, medications and things like meditation and yoga, sort of more soft things and more hard things and um, soft, I guess, more emotional things and more analytical things and, uh, and also, this is an important one actually, here, I stick my finger in there. Here is an important one, <laughs> is that she's really conservative with her dosages. You know, we were talking about medication. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of doctors will be like, kill it, we will give you 500 milligrams of, you know, however much we can possibly shove down your throat. Uh. Because we're going to, you know, like we're going to take care of it. And that's when side effects are sucky and when, um, you know, it's, it's it's hard on your it's hard on your your brain your brain is really a big a, a sensitive creature and then also i mean this is not uh, uh, often this is not a disease that just goes away like a cold or like a virus i mean like i'm probably going to be on these meds for the rest of my life so i have to figure out what really what the lowest dosage is that I can take that's going to take me through. You know, I don't want to be dealing with tons of side effects if I don't have to. It, you know, and then I get yeah. some med compliance. Like, who, who wants to take all that and it's expensive? So that's another thing that, that I love about my psychiatrist is that, is, that her, is that her take on meds is to be really slow and cautious. It used to frustrate me when I was so impatient to feel better, you know. But, um, but I really respect now. I mean, I respected it then, but it was just more, uh, well, it was harder. It was harder when I was just waiting. I was feeling like I was just waiting. It seems more of a focus on a balanced treatment. Right, right. And that's the thing. You know, balance is not fast. It is. It, it takes a lot of time and attention to get to balance. Mm-hmm. This is your f- longest work. Um, and I was thinking about it. It's probably the first time you've really done like an extended work. It's, this is what this is what I've been saying. It's two hundred and forty-eight pages, which is about two hundred forty-six pages longer than <laughs> I'm accustomed to do. Two forty-seven, two forty-six, forty-seven. Yeah, I've always considered myself more <laughs> of a comic essayist. Like I do short yeah. things. I mean, yeah. you know, I do one and two pagers generally just one page and that's always been the challenge my puzzle to take information and make it compact that way you know kind of get in get out and that's my thing so yeah doing a more long long form uh comic was a a huge departure for me 
it seems like you allow yourself to breathe a lot more with this work. You mean in the pacing? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. It was nice. It was nice to be able to um, to kind of stretch out that way. It was cool. I, I enjoyed it once I got over being terrified. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Oh, my God, I had so much to learn. Every step of the way, there was so much to learn. Oof. Yeah. So when did you start working on marbles? Well, I... I guess it would be 2008. It took me four years to do the book, uh, two years to do the proposal. It took a long time because it was really difficult to to just sort through all of all of that material and and kind of sit with it for a while and stuff, um, just emotionally mostly. And then uh, and then a year to map out the story and thumbnails, and then a year to do the pencils and inks, which uh, was a really, really intense year. It was just a really tight deadline, and I was really determined to meet it. But really, also, I started, in some ways, I started work, or certainly started pondering this, the possibility of doing this as a comic many years earlier, probably in the early 2000s, um, when I was in my psychiatrist's office, I remember being frustrated with something. I don't remember what, but um, thinking, you know, like maybe it was, you know, the one of the things about lithium and having problems remembering and having problems remembering if I even took it. Some sort of a catch-22, say. And thinking, oh, I'm going to have to deal with this in a comic. And just being kind of like, like I had just, as if I had just been given, that I had just given myself a very difficult assignment, and I was going to have to do it, and I just knew that I was going to have to do it, that that was how I was going to most effectively process this. But I also knew, as an essayist, as a comic essayist, that I wasn't going to be able to do it in in a page or two. Like what I was going to like come out as bipolar in the first two panels, and then talk about what a pain in the ass lithium is that, that you know <laughs> that form just wasn't going to work yeah so um so i kind of just had that in the back of my head well and also i knew that i was going to have to be very securely stable or as stable uh, as secure as i could be as stable as i could be um before putting before before being very open and public about it because it it's just uh it's you know, it, anywhere from feeling really confident and strong to feeling like I could feel very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There's also a part of me that fear, like, what what if it's such a huge thing when it comes out that I that I cycle, when I get really manic or really depressed, and everybody's going to see and know what's going on. And so, so there was a lot of there was a lot of anxiety around that until I finally felt like, you know, I can deal with it. On that note, you do have some events coming up we should mention. I do, I do. On, Uh, as we mm. mentioned earlier, on Wednesday the 27th, the performance of uh, Lust. Where was that again? Right. Do you want me me to try to rattle these off? I wasn't sure if you were rattling them off. You know what, you can rattle them off. It'll sound better coming from you. (laughs) 
Let's see. Best as I can remember. So on the 22nd, February 22nd, I'm going to be doing a signing at Left Bank Books in Seattle um, in Pike Place Market. And then on February 27th um, at Richard Hugo House, um, I'm going to be doing with the with the Bushwick Book Club. Um, they're going to be performing Lust. I guess that's all I'm about. I'm really looking forward to that. And then at Emerald City Comic Con, I'm going to be signing with Fanographics on Saturday. Is that the second? That is the second. Saturday? Yes. The second. And then I'm going to be in a panel on the third. And you know what? I don't know the name of the panel. Do you but know it's about It's about queer comics. Do you know anyone else who will be but, on the panel? Uh, Erica Moen. Okay. And then... Oh, God, I'm just going to sound so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to go talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be on queer comics or queer cartoonists. Yeah, queer yeah. Comics. No, it's something like... it's You know, it, it's something like non-binary sexuality something like that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like, non-binary? Am I remembering that wrong? That um, would, yeah, so that's right. Yeah. I, I think it's something, so I'm just, that's why I'm just saying queer. Yeah. That's the kind of term I usually use. Makes things easy. Well, use, you know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's the reason that, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> queer. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave it there. All right. Um, and just a reminder, folks, the person who will be there is Ellen Forney, and her book is Marbles, uh, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me, a graphic memoir. Ellen, thank you so much for uh, talking to me this afternoon, and I hope you uh, have fun at those events. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, and I'll see you at Emerald City. Yes, indeed. Um, and don't forget to send me those uh, song requests. Oh, right. The four songs. Right. Well, I know, well, you know, so here's one thing. So um, one of the things that's come up a few times in different appearances that I've, that I've had is that th there have been a couple of different crazy songs that have been used either as my intro or outro, unbeknownst to me. And I think it's kind of funny. One was Patsy Cline's Crazy. Mm-hmm. And, like, leading up into the interview with me. And the other one was um, uh, Garth, Gnarls, Gnarls Barkley. Oh, okay. Crazy. And I was talking about it with a friend of mine, and she said, oh, you know, because I was like, yeah, you know, it's not like I'm offended or anything. I'd be putting it on if I were offended. But, um you know, I don't know, you know, what's, I don't know what the intent, it's okay, I guess it's funny. It's kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, but it's too bad, it's too bad they didn't go right to Hendrix. So I kind of figure, uh, I kind of figure that, um, man's depression would be.